0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. Again, apologies for any of the audio issues that anyone may have had on my end specifically from the last episode. Um, I usually blame Rion for all things. The technical or just in general life happenings. Um, but no, that time, that was completely on me. So apologies for that. But we're going to kick it off this week. Of course, we're going to be talking about La Liga. Of course, we're going to be talking about the big three. We're going to be talking about a little couple other things going on in Spain. Um, yeah, Rion's back. I'm back. 2021's kicked off. Uh, Civil War 2021, I should say. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it's This is honestly, I saw a tweet today, Rion, that was like, I think 2020 was like the 90 minutes of regulation and then 2021 has started off in injury time and that's where we're at
1: yeah, january january was, was added time yeah. i think we're not even injury i think we might be in like extra time this is the last 30 minutes <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. yesterday was the first 15 minutes of extra time and the next two weeks will probably be the second half yeah exactly um, and then the second leg starts after inauguration <laughs> so. and then we go to penalties for, for the rest of the year
0: <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah. so Basically, uh, last last day or two have been uh, very interesting, at least in the states. For uh, for those listening, Rihanna and I were actually supposed to record this yesterday, and between watching a somewhat entertaining Barcelona game and also watching the world, I should more or less say the Capitol Building in DC burn, um, got a little distracted.
1: Figuratively, for figuratively,
0: for but the now. fact that we have to say figuratively is for now horrendous. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, how you doing, Rian? Um,
1: not radicalized yet, Elliot. And that's... Yeah.
0: Do you have to say yet? Yeah? Should I be concerned <laughs> in any <laughs> no, way? No,
1: no, no. That's that's more than than can be said for. Um, I think as Ted Cruz said yesterday, thirty nine percent of the country doesn't believe in. Uh, the election results. So I guess I'm not in that 39% of radicalized yet. So that's, that is all. See, I again,
0: want. you keep saying yet, and I'm, I'm growing more and more concerned the more you keep talking. So I'm just, if you have anything to tell me, just let me know.
1: <laughs> I'm just, I'm, yeah, no, not, i anyway. <laughs> what? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Good. Good. Um, Have you taken any trips to uh, our nation's capital recently? No, no. (laughs) I'm just remembering. You know, the first thing that came to my mind (laughs) when all that was happening. um, So, Elise and I, as people know, we went to the same high school and middle school together. And in freshman year of high school, um, we were in D.C., yeah. in august the the just before school started our whole class um an annual like dc trip where we go and talk to senators and congressmen for like this project that we were doing and that was the first thing that came to my mind i don't know that, that i was just thinking about <laughs> yeah i was just thinking about the the scenes of um of the the anarchists going like walking in the capital like in capitol hill there's like one scene where um I don't remember any of the halls or whatever the hell their names are, but uh, in one of the scenes, it, there's like the red velvet, um, yeah, 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 uh, borders or whatever. That that <laughs> weirdly enough, in all of their in all of their chaos, they chose to <laughs> they chose to adhere by the the lines set up by yeah. velvet ropes that are like for like tourists like, yeah. remember, like that's yeah. why i remember being in there so it's uh that was hilarious but um that's no, true it's true yeah we were, just, we were just there. thinking about what, <laughs> what that that was one of the first thing that came to my mind i was like wow i've been in that building too and yeah
0: a lot of people <laughs> have been there like it's 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 very common for visitors and, and whatnot to go into some of the not all of the senate and house you know chambers but you know congressional offices that that's an you know, normally a place that people can also visit if they have approval and things like that. I actually met Rand Paul when we were down there. Um, cause I went to his office, to see if anyone was around and I'm just, a, whatever, 13, 12 year old <laughs> kid trying to look yeah. around he's fully sitting there. And I was like, I have absolutely no business talking to you, <laughs> but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Yesterday was an interesting day. We've, uh, We've seen better days to say the least, but, uh, I do know, I do (laughs) know. Yeah, that's an (laughs) understatement. (laughs) We've definitely seen better days, but, but one of the things that actually kept me busy yesterday, um, I, I, I was like a little skeptical as to how busy it would keep me, but watching the Barcelona game yesterday, honestly. Like, it was refreshing. I did not expect... I expected it to make my mood worse, but watching it was, like, a nice respite from the chaos that was yesterday. So, I don't know. Rion, where do you want to start in La Liga?
1: Hmm. Um, I would love to start with the league leaders again. Ah, yes. Of course. Uh, They are still on top. They've got two games in hand. I... Feel very conf. Well, no, I shouldn't. Say. I want to say I feel very confident. Um, they've been grinding out results recently. Um, and even through that grind of the last few weeks. In between all of that, we had Kieran Trippier, their starting right back, who has arguably arguably been one of, one of the best uh, fullbacks in spain this year i mean i think he could probably he's probably up there in the top two or three for this season easily um is now under a is it a, it's either a 10-week ban it, 10-week ban not a 10 game ban if i remember correctly um a 10-week ban from the english fa correct 10 weeks yep yeah yep. so uh, elias we can start with what's happening on the field <laughs> yeah um, what what is what have you been seeing the last couple or I guess the last two weeks ish from um Atleti?
0: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Atleti are doing something in the last two weeks that have really started to solidify in my mind why they have been called the um the title favorites so far in La Liga. They in normal I shouldn't say normal in previous years right under Simeone this team has gone on to tie games 1-1 instead of losing, you know, versus winning, for example, right? And I think that's a very, very fine line to walk in football. When you're, you know, up 1-0 late in the game, let's say you give up a goal like they did against Alaves in their most recent game at the weekend, they went on to win that game later in that, Um, in the 90th minute, right? With with Luis Suarez. That's that's exactly what league leaders need to do. Or or I should say (laughs) La Liga champions should do or need to be doing. In a lot of those cases in previous years, there's a reason why Diego Simeone had racked up so many draws, even last season. That's partially what led to a lot of their dropped points. It was not losses, it was draws. And their draw, you know, most recently, like I said, against Alaves, kind of proved to me in a, in a couple of ways that it, it really proved two things. One, it proved that while Diego Costa has now left Atletico Madrid, Luis Suarez can actually keep up the mantle of being somewhat of a starting striker, even though it'll be rotational, obviously, during COVID. No one can play every three days consistently. Um but the fact that he did play the, the full game and is being utilized, in my opinion, very efficiently by Simeone, that is a very good sign for, for Atleti. The second thing is the fact that this team didn't recede or rescind back into a defensive block and just call it a day. That's normally what I have seen out of Atleti to try and preserve a draw, but really, this team could have again scored another goal after their second goal against Alves. They it could it could have been three one. It it really was Atleti showing that they they are hungry for the La Liga title. So, I mean, very positive things, honestly, on the pitch from from Atletico.
1: Yeah, and that's in the last three games. It's nine points in the last three games. Um, nine points from five point eight expected points. So. And that's the widest margin of any of the La Liga teams in the last in the last three games, which just kind of underlines what you're saying, right? That They are finding ways to win their ability to not only grind out results, but win when not necessarily playing to their best ability, which is just such a necessary trait for champions. They've been, you know, they've ticked every box really um i feel like as the season has gone on they've been ticking all the boxes that you need to see in a team that is able to last 38 games because you're not going to play well every week you're not even going to necessarily play well every month right so uh, i think it's been great and and also to have the luxury to bring on joe in the last half hour of that game yeah (laughs) and kind of changed it and even though he's fallen off the pace of the first couple months first couple months of the season a bit um and I don't think that's necessarily down to him he's had three shot creating actions in his last five La Liga games in the league which is um definitely not the level that we expect from him but at the same time he hasn't had more than 35 touches in a game since November 21st against Barcelona in the in the 1-0 and so he's not I still think they can get him involved more but um he had the game-winning assist against Alavate yes. and and that's what we that's what you expect to see for him, to come on and change the game and he does that a lot especially coming off the bench he does that very well as a, he's a great super sub he shouldn't shouldn't have to be, shouldn't be relied on yeah he shouldn't be just but, one yeah but to have the option to rest him in games and not have to start him and know that even if you bring him on for that 20 minutes he's going to make that big of a difference even yep. at his young age, that's just, again, another thing that kind of takes the boxes for Atleti. Like they don't necessarily have to have their best 11 out there every single game. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and the other thing too, is the, the fear that I had with Atletico is when they lost Diego Costa, um, really within the last week or so, my fear was that there wasn't any natural replacement for someone to be either Suarez, Suarez's partner or backup in, in some ways. Um, I mean, we could talk about how Diego Costa left and everything, but it's irrelevant now. What's relevant is how do Atletico supplement his departure? And it's very clear that the answer is either an extra midfielder or attacking midfielder playing off the striker, or it's simply just Luis Suarez on his own isolated, but the whole of their midfield line presses up with him, right? He's not isolated in the sense that he's pressing on his own. He's isolated in the sense that he is a point He's a gunman. He's a just the lone striker, right? Um, so that's very interesting for me from Simeone because it requires all of his midfielders to, I don't know how they can physically do this, run more. Um, <laughs> but it's an overall positive contribution to the team. So there's, a, there's an article out in The Athletic about it this week about how Simeone is transforming this team with a 4-4-2 both in possession and um defensively and it's it's very interesting it's spot on
1: yeah and yeah Suarez has really kind of stepped into pretty much the same role that Diego Costa was in with Atleti back in 2013 so it's almost like a like for like kind of role that he's playing um at a much older at a much older age which is crazy but um but no he's he's having the same influence on the team, but shall we move to off the pitch, Elias? Um, Yes. And (laughs) the Trippier, band, what can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, this was, this actually goes back to when he first came to Atletico. Um, So for those that probably remember, right, Kieran Trippier came from Spurs, Um, It was kind of unclear with his contractual situation, what was going to happen, where he was going to go. No one really had a full answer. And of course, it should be known that there are betting markets for where players are transferred to. Um, The the biggest, I guess, knowledge gap or institutional knowledge that's crucial in some of these betting markets are the players and agents themselves. (laughs) And so just so happens that you know i think probably a couple months or maybe 6 to 12 months after his transfer uh, came out that Kieran Trippier had just you know mentioned to a couple buddies yeah i'm uh, i'm going to atletico madrid from spurs and uh there are whatsapp messages there's evidence everywhere it's not like something you know that he's clearly not in the wrong for he very much committed these acts um, And all of his friends are the ones that had balls enough to do it, placed bets on him going to Atletico Madrid. And of course, this was subsequently found out. Um, And this is the outcome of it. He is banned for 10 games for playing for, for Atleti. And there are kind of two important points I should make about this. First is that Atleti basically came out and said this is kind of BS because we had nothing to do with this, but somehow this directly and only impacts us as a team, Um, which there's an argument to it, but also I think there's a counterpoint to that and that you are the parent club of that player and you're responsible for their actions. (laughs) So it's kind of, it's give and take because he also wasn't parent or a player of that club at the time. So that's a whole one side of it. The second part of it is that, Kieran Trippier is not appealing this, which basically is admission that this happened. But I think in large part he's not actually appealing this because he got a 10-week sentence, or I guess ban, whatever you want to call it, when in reality, by the book of the law, if you look at the rule books that um I believe the the English FA, Spanish FA um have put forward on you know gambling, things like that, sports gambling, 12 weeks, I believe is the minimum sentence that you can get for uh, an defense like this. So he was in some ways let off, even though 10 weeks is a long time by the rule book and by the law, he's actually doing okay. So yeah, I think it's, it's an unfortunate situation for Atleti because they've had to supplement now, not only Diego Costa, but here in Trippier, um, but I, in all honesty, I think Trippier is probably a bigger loss for them.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, And this means he's most likely missing the first leg against Chelsea. Um, (laughs) Although he smiles (laughs) internally. I mean, well, the last time that he played against Chelsea, he scored the best own goal I've seen in a while. A a beautiful finish. That is true. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But, no, it it rubs me a bit the wrong way coming from the English FA Purely because the amount of teams in England that have a betting sponsor as their on front on the front of their jersey is just like it's it's an unbelievable it's like an almost American level of hypocrisy. So it's really tough on Karen Trippier on, or not tough on him. I just say tough on Atleti itself. I I sympathize with them. Because he probably deserves a pretty big fine more than a ban. Um, but, yeah, it just, it, it reeks a bit, you know, of
0: hypocrisy. No, yeah, I think that's, and that's probably the argument that his friends that made those bets are making right now. Because, yeah, it's kind of, he's just in a tough spot. Like, it. it Probably you can make the argument doesn't warrant a ban, but at the same time, if you're going by the, you know, rule of law, he got a sh- shorter or lesser ban than normal. So it, I, yeah, I don't, maybe, know maybe that's, t-
1: maybe those two weeks were was the FA just grappling with the, <laughs> the ethics of, of their own leagues, having betting sponsorships. <laughs> all around the stadium having betting commercials shown at halftime and, and in between <laughs> games yeah maybe those two weeks were, were really where they're like ah, oh, maybe this is slightly hypocritical
0: mm-hmm. who's the real utilitarian in this we can talk about philosophy and soccer <laughs> for, for as long as we want but anyway that is what's going on with kieran Trippier. um atleti are in a good spot like you said with two games in hand but it it should be noted that their next two games, you know, on Saturday in the middle of next week, are against Athletic Bilbao, who did just replace, um, you know, their their coach in Gary uh, with a familiar face to Valencia uh, in Marcelino. So, uh, or, yeah, <laughs> God, I yeah, I don't even don't even get me started on that. Let's call
1: this club hilarious. They're like, I mean so many similarities between well no not so many in this I would say similarities in the manager changes um of Valencia and Wolves who no or yeah who who at one time um or no not Wolves sorry Watford I'm totally thinking of Watford
0: yes yeah yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Watford and and Valencia actually it's very funny it, yeah it's it's funny how
0: Barcelona the manager just,
1: changes yeah hopped around yeah yeah, maybe he'll go to Wolves and Watford
0: next. I really don't know. Um, but Atletico do play Bilbao, who have been struggling relatively, um, and then Sevilla next week, and that's the game I'm very excited about. So um, two two tough games. And honestly, their schedule leading up to their uh, their game against Chelsea, their first leg in the Champions League, is actually not not too easy. So it's going to be a tough couple uh, couple of weeks for them. Let's we'll see how their two games in hand go. But they're in a good spot.
1: All right, well... Next, shall we go again to the other side of Madrid? Where We, all, we always have to stay in Madrid. As much as I hate it, we have to. <laughs> where, as we talked about before, Madrid have stabilized and are playing very well, um, results-wise, I'd say. I, since their loss to Alaves at the end of November, they at that time when they lost to Alaves, they were in fourth, Um, 17 points from the first 10 games, 7 points off first place, but since then 19 points, the most in the league tie for fewest goals allowed and second in uh, expected points and expected goals. Elias, is it time to seriously consider Madrid as a team that can catch Atletico Madrid? And mind you, they have two games, sorry, Atleti has two games in hand to Real Madrid and Atleti are two points up. So should Atleti be just the slightest um, concerned and looking in their rearview mirror?
0: To answer that question, 100% absolutely. Yes, they should be concerned. It, Right now, it doesn't matter what happens in those two games in hand because you're basically relying on results that have not happened, right? You could you could talk about a game. They might tie one, win one. They might lose one, win one. It, it doesn't matter what those two games in hand actually result in because it doesn't matter um, because they have not happened. Um, so if you're at Atleti, you're looking at this as Real Madrid are two points behind us and we can't fumble the bag. Like it's completely on us if something goes wrong. So all they need to focus on is winning game after game. They don't need to worry about real Madrid, but if you're real Madrid, I think you're absolutely thinking we're two points off them. Yes, they have two, two games in hand, but this is going to be close. And over the course of the next, let's say 15 La Liga games, that's a lot of game time. We're only a little bit more than halfway through the season. And you're talking about basically two ties away from seriously becoming a conversation about it. And then at that point, anything can happen, but I I will say Real Madrid did show shades of the side that we are. Oh, so familiar with in uh, somehow somewhere tying Elche um, last, uh, last week. I, I don't understand this team. I really don't. They, they somehow drop points when they want to, and pick up points also when they want to, it makes, it makes no sense. It really doesn't.
1: <laughs> it's just a bit of the, um, a bit of just like kind of how it goes with, um, at least under Zidane, how it's been. Right. Um, they'll have these gains from time to time. I mean, granted, from the beginning of the season, they were having these games more frequently, which perhaps we have to really look at the teams and, and, it's kind of harps a bit on what we talked about on the Premier League episode where, you know, how do we evaluate the season and look at like the teams who played in August in the Champions League and got that and only had that, what, three to four weeks off um, between their European season ending and the domestic season's beginning. And maybe we need to give more slack for that first month and a half, right? Because you're seeing it with, Manchester City. You're seeing it with Bayern, who even started the season not that great, and were sitting in around like third and fourth for for much of the uh, first half of the Bundesliga season, and are now have gone back into first over the last couple weeks. And even with PSG, PSG did not start their season well at all. And granted, they're still, I think they might have like an actual title race on on their hands there in in Paris. But yeah, um, but even they have started to at least get somewhat back on track, and we'll see how it goes with Pochettino. And I would even throw in, to an extent, what we've seen from Barcelona in the last few weeks, who also had a tough first two to three months of the season, and and now we're seeing um, a bit more of consistency with them too. So how much of it is down to Madrid really just maybe not being mentally ready for the beginning of the season. And then you throw in the fact that they didn't have Benzema and uh Sergio Ramos for a fair amount of those games. And we've talked about how influential those guys are to the team. It's it's just another thing to like, kind of throw out there when, when thinking about like this season as a whole. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. I never really thought
0: about it from that perspective that basically all of the major European clubs didn't really start well. I mean, maybe Atletico are kind of the exception to that. And maybe Liverpool are somewhat of an exception, maybe not even them. Um But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that I think fatigue is probably a big part of it. Um, Especially right now, given that they play every three to four days, but yeah, maybe there's something to be said about that. I think Real Madrid are slowly finding their footing. It's just, I, I can't get past these games that they drop points with. Like, they should not be dropping points against Elche. They looked like they could have dropped more, like they had their moments, but this wasn't at all a game that they looked like outright winning. And if that continues, right, that trend continues, especially with the added fatigue, then I think you're talking about a team that could potentially, right, trail off. But it's, again, it's the same thing with Atleti where Real Madrid have the power to change that themselves. They, completely control their own destiny in terms of pushing lady for the title. So I think they, you know, continue to squeak out wins where they are kind of even with other teams, which has added to their points tally. But, and I think for example, the Celta Vigo game in which RIP Barry Aspas, Iago Aspas, the legend got injured. Um, that game is a perfect example of that. They basically let Celta get through, had, Two, they had two or three amazing chances, squandered those chances. Real Madrid went right back down and scored, um, you know, later in the game and also early in the game. So it, it's going to – They, they. I don't know if they have everything completely mentally right. That's what I would say.
1: Yeah, it, it, and we'll only get a better grasp of them as the season goes on, right, and especially going to the Champions League. So from there, at did we take a break. Yes. And, uh, yes. Let's, let's do that. Cause I'm going to check the
0: news and see if uh, any other parts of the world are burning, um, but hopefully not. So we'll <laughs> still see.
1: just still, us still. Yeah. Still just us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: Ah, uh, Rian, 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 Rian. Nothing, uh, nothing extreme, I think, happened in the world. At least, I don't, I don't think. Uh, Twitter is usually up to date with things, but not yet. Again. It doesn't it doesn't seem like things went haywire yet? Um,
1: but yeah, where do we leave off, Rian? Where do we want to go? Shall we move to Catalan, right? The Catalonia part of Spain, my favorite part, where <laughs> where <laughs> Barcelona have shown real strides. I think, in the last um, few games. I I think I said to you, I don't remember if I said on the pod or, or, or off of it, that I thought they looked really good against Huesca um, a couple of games ago, and in, including a five to seven minute period leading up to the first goal against Huesca where I, I thought it was... I, I mean, you could tell me, say better than I, but it was like the, the best... 10 or so minutes of, of Barca that I'd seen in the league, at least all season. Um, and they looked really in control. And they showed a lot of that again this past weekend. Right. And yeah. really showing signs of life here. Huh, Elias? Unbeaten <laughs> in their last seven games, five wins, two draws, 17 points. That's the most in that span. First in non-penalty expected goal difference. First in expected goals. I d- wait, wait, Really, yeah, for that span, over, yeah, interesting, yeah I did i that I didn't know that I didn't know, that's really interesting to me there they I um, mean the chances are being hmm. created, I at least t- tell me how you're feeling about it,
0: yeah, my my initial thought to those stats is that now that I think about it, it might be skewed by the Huesca game, but um, yeah, <laughs> I, the last let's say three no. I'll say the last four games, um, ranging from Valladolid, Ibar, Weska, and Bilbao, I've been overall impressed, not thoroughly impressed, impressed with the way this team has come out and played. They have, of course, like Rion said, dropped points in that span. We tied Ibar at home, which objectively should not have happened, not because of anything controversial, just because of the nature of how we played and the fact that, you know, Ibar are really kind of struggling right now. Um, and that game was at home. I think the way that the team responded in the game against Huesca, which was also at home. And oh no, I apologize. Huesca was away. Um, but the way the team responded was very strong. I mean, they controlled the virtually the entire pitch. And they did the most quintessential, I guess, cliche thing in football, which was Basically, (laughs) Ronald Koeman, I guess, doesn't really have faith in this back line. So he defended by attacking. That's the cliche that I would go with. So he, I think, has started to find his gala 11. I think he's starting to hone in on what that looks like. And things really changed. I have to highlight this when Dembele came back. Dembele and Sergino Dest on the right-hand flank have allowed for a so much freedom and chemistry between each other to basically overlap, interchange, etc. but also not putting all of the attacking prowess on the left-hand side and Jordi Alba and his positioning, because I could see he was really getting gassed after a couple of these games in this seven game stretch that Rian mentioned. he's been great. I think he's been great
1: this season. Like really?
0: He he has. Yeah. He, he shockingly has been decent. Um, But you can't always rely on one person, just <clears throat> as a given. So getting Dembele back and he shined in the Bilbao game. Um, you know, yesterday we're recording this on Thursday and they played Wednesday. That was their game in hand too. He he played amazingly. I mean, he was involved with almost all of the build-up. <laughs> San's the uh, second goal. Which saw Iniesta combining with Messi. Oh, sorry. Of course, Pedri combining with Messi. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, there it, it oh, was man. there's something clicking in this Barcelona side. And I think one of the major you know factors for that is Dembele's return, giving this team width. And I've seen already how much wider this team is. Just there's always someone on the on the on the flanks. It's you know giving me shades of David Villa and Pedro of their positioning, always staying on the touch lines. <clears throat> And then the second thing, which I I don't know if it's a good or bad thing yet, is Sergio Busquets getting his starting position back next to Frankie De Jong. And I haven't figured out if it's good or bad. I haven't figured out if it's too much of a defensive liability. I mean, it is more of a defensive liability than Pjanic, but it seems to be working offensively. combining Frankie
1: de Jong's freedom and, yeah, Busquets. The runs from Frankie de Jong that we've seen into the box more and more. The second goal against, I think it was the second goal against Sweska, where, obviously, it was an amazing pass from from Messi. But that run that was made by de Jong, and I can't remember if it maybe was the first or...
0: Oh, oh, Pedri, you scored the goal. This was against Bilbao. Yeah, I
1: know you're talking about. Yeah, maybe, maybe one of the goals where deong makes the run to create space he's making those runs into the box now and he's doing it more and more um or more effectively i should say because i think he was doing it a bit i think he was doing some of it in the first half of the season too but um it seems like he's oh, picking he, his yeah, timing more yeah he's picking Sorry, his i was timing about, yes oh you're good <laughs> he's picking his timing on these runs so intelligently and we knew how intelligent of a player he was, but I feel like this is like a step in the development of Frankie de Young himself. And on top of all of that, like you said, Pedri, <laughs> the, the te, the, tenor, the, the Tenerife Prince, huh? <laughs> I mean, in this, sa- in that same seven game span, Pedri in the league, Third in expected assists per 90, second overall in expected assists to Messi. He's fifth in the league in non penalty expected goals plus assists per 90, and 10th in the league in key pass 90 in that seven game span. And Elias, remind me how old he is. <sighs> Pedri is 18 years of age. He's barely, Unbelievable. Barely a,
0: a, a, Unbelievable. a still
1: a child. <laughs> Overall, the team, he's second in shot creating actions per 90, fourth in passes into the penalty area and second in key passes per 90. On the team and, and it doesn't it doesn't feel like they are necessarily relying on him either, which No. Is good. Like he, he's good. The, the pressure isn't fully on him to be the creator or to link everything together, but Right now, he looks like he has the best relationship with Messi than any other player. Barring maybe Jordi Alba.
0: Yeah, I mean, Petri. I don't think anyone can deny that. Um, Where I think that we need to be careful... Is with the hype? I mean, there's a report out this week uh, from Transfer Market, right, listing Bedri's transfer value going from five million euros to fifty or fifty-five million euros, which they equated to Coutinho and Hazard's transfer value, which is just no, not stop. It, he's <laughs> eighteen. Let's breathe. You are you, stop comparing him to other players and, and doing that whole spiel right now. What I think is yeah, important. He's better than Coutinho. <laughs> uh,
1: for for Barcelona, for Barcelona, yes. For Barcelona, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah actually, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't shy away from
0: that for sure. Yeah, no, I don't think anyone disagrees with that. Um, where I think I, I would like to continue to see this sort of progress is just purely on the pitch, right? Pedri needs to play. He's young, he needs to develop, he needs to play. It's It's his ability to be mature and almost always choose the right decision, right? Look at the goal against Bilbao that he assisted Messi with. He was cutting inside, backheeled the ball to Messi, and Messi slotted it. Like, you need to have
1: split-second decision-making to do that. And that is so mature. Not the first time so he's made a pass like that, too, right, to, yeah. to Messi. I, I think I've seen him make an even more impressive where <laughs> he kind of flipped, dragged it back and then flicked it forward to Messi um, on a different occasion, he's he's very like, in tune with Messi in terms of like their thinking right now, which is crazy because like you said, he's yeah. 18, and yeah. he didn't come through Barcelona's academy, by the way. Like, so <laughs> so it's not like yeah. he has this necessarily ingrained in him. Although um, from a piece in the Athletic that they uh, profiling him, he grew up as a Barcelona fan and his family's Barca, you know Barcelona yeah. fans and whatnot. But he didn't grow up at La Masia, so this is all. Just things that come naturally to it. That's the best part about this. It's
0: the honestly, it really is a shame. Regardless of what Messi decides, it's a shame that we won't be able to see Pedri and Messi play for more games, right, during the season. And if <laughs> there, I mean, people joke about it, but maybe Pedri is the reason Messi sticks around for footballing reasons. May, maybe, maybe it's an eighteen-year-old kid from Tenerife. Who knows?
1: Maybe. I mean, and yeah, you know, I said it last week. Or. Yeah, I said, it, um, whenever we we talked about, you know, Barcelona's, how to look at Barcelona's second half of the season here, he's, he's part of the core. You look going forward, him and Ansu Fati and Frankie de Jong, that's your core right there. Things need to be sorted out in terms of, you know, who are the center backs of the future, obviously, but, and, and, Probably a long a more longer term um, answer to the, the center forward position, but you've got those three guys and a healthy Ousmane Dembele. Yeah. The I mean things are things are not necessarily gonna be at the very, very heights of what it could be for this season. Obviously, we've talked about the reasons for that, but as far as like a transitional season could go where you're able to establish that core there's there's such high potential for for i think this (laughs) team in the in the next two years go two to three years going forward if they get the other things right yeah yeah i i agree right the the pieces have always been there funny
0: funny enough it's the combination i think of Bartomeo obviously resigning and a new president coming who fingers crossed, we'll have much more of a sporting project and focus. And <laughs> he needs to, you know, sort out the whole financial situation, but right. The pieces on the field are, are they're, they're there. They're strewn about and they're kind of messy, but you can build around this. It's not, it's, it's salvageable. That's my point. So I agree with you. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll yeah, see more
1: than salvageable, honestly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. We'll definitely see who the, uh, the new next president is. We'll know in about a week and a half or so. So I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm a little nervous about that, but beyond that, I think that, uh, that covers Barcelona. So I don't know if they challenge for the La Liga title, but if we get top four at this point uh, and go far in the Champions League. I'm Success.
1: Gonna... A third, like yeah. third place. You get these guys genuine minutes. Fingers crossed that Ansu Fati is able to re- recover fully. Um, yeah. And, you Go again next season. I, this, this team's in a really good spot, I think, going to the future. And I feel much better about the future prospects of this team now than I did in August, let's say. So that's which, true. I mean, which is very easy to, to feel better now <laughs> than, it, than it was in August, obviously. But literally but, um... anything
0: was better. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. other than a second leg, of course. But <laughs> yeah, anyway, oh yeah. <laughs> why don't we go take a look around the rest of La Liga before we wrap up? Um, about a couple of the teams that we really talked about in our preview of la liga talking with our former league leaders real sociedad ryan they've uh they've fallen off right They're they've lost two of their last four games drawn one and they are now down to fourth place and they are a game ahead actually of the two teams around them so i'm a little a little concerned about sociedad especially because. We shouldn't forget that they have Manchester United in the Europa League. So one former league leader to one wannabe league leader—it's—it's it's not looking great for Sociedad. But I'm hoping, hoping that David Silva can come back into this team and basically shake them awake. Because um, I, I honestly I, I don't know if it's anything other than just finishing and. Having a stronger presence in the, in the, the, what's it called? Final third.
1: Yeah. They've from, like you said, a position of, of being in first for a fair amount of the beginning of the season. They're in a real dog fight now for fourth place, right? They're one point above Villarreal who has a game in hand, three points above Sevilla who have three, uh, three games in hand. So yeah, it, it would be really disappointing for them to start that well and not even finish in the top four. And, you know, there, there are a lot of great players on that team. And it would just be very, very sad to see it. And like I said, Dava Silva coming back will be huge because even at 34, he's been arguably their best player this season. I think you could make a shout for um, ball but... He's been so influential. And the games that I've that I've gone to watch with him, he still looks like the same player that he watched from Manchester City two years ago. So uh, he is so, so important to this team. So yeah, uh, very disappointing, honestly, their their form recently. But um yeah, this is they're in for a dog fight. I, I think they would have taken this scenario if you told them before the season, though, yeah. right? So, yeah, that's that's actually that was going to be my point, right? I think fourth and a,
0: a close fourth at that probably would have been taken by them. Um, it, it absolutely would have. Yes, they have lost actually three of the last five. Now that I think of it, um, I, I think I think it's totally fair to say that they they would be rather be in this position than what they could have potentially expected otherwise. So Real Sociedad, not great, but again hoping that this is the the bottom of the barrel for them and only can look up. Um, but meanwhile a team that definitely definitely cannot look up right now is 17th place Valencia literally sitting tied on points above the relegation zone with Elche yeah. at the bottom. This is a
1: bit more of a, closer to what we might have expected from <laughs> Valencia, from Valencia going into the season with all of the, the things going on around this club in the yeah. last just say not even summer just say the last two, two years years two. yeah so um yeah I, I feel for our young American Eunice Musa, um <laughs> but you know it, it there is a bit of a correlation there between him getting his chance in this team and playing so much at this age when he's still a bit you can still watch the games he's still raw uh, he's still a yeah. raw prospect, I think. And you know, in a normal functioning Valencia season or uh, administration, honestly, <laughs> um, he probably wouldn't have gotten the game minutes that he's gotten. Um, True. And and so uh, and while it's great for the for him and and obviously the U.S. national team, it, it's more of an indictment on what's going on at Valencia behind the scenes, right? Yeah, super fair. Um... Basically,
0: if you haven't heard our discussions on Valencia in the last year, the TLDR is that, and you can look this up, Peter Lim has destroyed this club. I mean, it's not it's not even a subjective opinion, it's just a purely I guess historical depiction now at this point of what's happened to Valencia. And it's sad. It really is sad. They lost most of their core you know there have been discussions, even of Carlos Tevez, right? Probably they're one of their best players this season, in midfield, going to Arsenal um, in the January window. If they let something like that happen after they let Ferran Torres leave to City, I mean this this club is truly on right. a bargain
1: it's price, on a bargain. Today, right? That, that it's it's laughable the fee that they, that they got for Ferran Torres.
0: Yeah, it's it's actually genuinely highway robbery, and if any teams come in and start poaching some of these players as there's basically their ship is sinking. It's not looking good for them. And there've been reports of course, that Javi Gracia, you know, Valencia's coach, is uh, you know, could be sacked very soon, which fair, but also
1: what else are you going to do? Yeah. I, I mean, I feel for him too, because another, a guy who was a former Watford manager, who I remember when he was sacked by Watford, it also felt weird. It also felt, really unfair so i mean i feel for him and he said in the i think even at the beginning of the season that he said he was like i'm look with all the things that are going on all i can do is focus on the players that i have here and coaching them and to his credit he's done probably as well as he could have considering the circumstances so I, i feel for him
0: no, I, I completely agree and I I don't know what Valencia are going to do because they are basically for all intents and purposes in the relegation zone. But but if you take a look at um what's it called? Their next couple of games, right, outside of well, I you know, they do play right Atletico in uh in a couple of weeks time, but outside of that they have Valladolid, they have Osasuna and they have Elche uh, before the end of the month. So games that in a normal scenario should be winnable with them for, you know, for them outside of Atleti. But, um, this probably isn't normal for them. So yeah, Valencia has some work to do. It's a shame, a
1: shame, honestly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, lastly, let's just briefly touch on, uh, One of my favorite teams this season, and honestly, I think probably one of Rion's favorite teams this season in Spain, in Valencia, or sorry, in Sevilla, excuse me. Um, (laughs) Sevilla are, again, pushing Barcelona for that third, fourth spot. They are in fifth, but they have a game in hand on Barcelona, and with a win, would go up into third over them. So, Sevilla's next two games, and I just want to briefly touch on this, this upcoming weekend and on Tuesday, Sociedad... And Atleti, two teams that are above them in the table and are essentially must-win games for them if they actually want to aspire to be in the top four. These are the games that Lopetegui needs to be winning, at the very least, getting points from if he wants to be in the top four. So I I don't know how Sevilla are really going to come out in any of these games. I think it's going to be pretty consistent what they've done across the entire season. It has been relatively consistent. Um, But they're they're just very important games for sevilla
1: yeah i mean especially the sociedad game like that's yeah. one where they they win and instantly they're tied on points with with sociedad and granted i think they're they're at a plus seven in goal difference right now where sociedads at plus 14 so it'd have to be Know, quite a win for them to to, to go up <laughs> Sociedad so um this weekend. But you no, know, Saturday's a huge day. I mean that's it's a massive game. Like we can start calling these like legitimate massive games now because we're granted Sevilla's only played 15 games so far, but after this, this will be 19 games played for Sociedad as half the season. And so officially we're kind of we're not at the business end of the season quite yet, but no, but we're this we're getting is, towards important stuff. Yeah. Yeah, especially especially because these two teams are still in Europe and right. it's about to get even more hectic in 3 weeks. So, picking up the points when you can now when you don't have to play two games uh two or three games a week, it's crucial. Yep. No, I completely agree. I
0: I, I don't have I will say like the most confidence in Sevilla winning both of these games. I have confidence in them doing well, potentially, or at least playing well, but I don't know if I have confidence in, in them winning both those games. I don't know what it is. It's just something that doesn't sit well with me con- with their consistency. So again, we'll have to see how it plays out, but uh, I think that wraps up our La Liga episode. Real.
1: And it does. And um, yeah, I've got nothing else there. All, all I can say is uh, everyone, especially if you're in the DC area, please be safe. <laughs> Um, I think people have forgotten
0: that we're also in a global pandemic.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I mean,
0: it's basically a super spreader event. Oh
1: my gosh. Yeah. I I mean, seriously, but um, yeah, everyone stay safe. Most importantly, stay sane if you can. Um, Seriously. (laughs) And uh, we'll try and help as much as we can. Yeah. Look forward to some more, some more soccer. For the next few months, to take our minds off of what's happening around us, for sure. Well,
0: as always, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with our uh, our additional podcast next week, talking about the Prem. We'll be previewing the Manchester and Manchester United, excuse me, and Liverpool game the following weekend, and of course, bringing you the great content from La Liga. So, with that, thanks again, everyone. Talk soon.
1: Thanks, guys.